The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Scorebox, and these are your headlines. The New Year rally fizzling out with the Dow and the S&P closing lower as the Fed's Raphael Bostic and Mary Daly reaffirm hopes for a slower pace of rate hikes, but stress the terminal rate will likely cross 5%. Greater China markets pull back following their reopening bounce, but state officials insist several regions are past the peak of COVID infections. Pfizer's CEO telling CNBC the company could begin manufacturing its COVID vaccine in China through a local partner within three to four months. We are sending as much Paxlovid as we can. Our manufacturing machines are working, so to be able to supply them. France's Emmanuel Macron faces a key test to his presidency as his government prepares to unveil its pension reform plan, setting the scene for a clash with union heads and left-wing lawmakers. And the UK government failing to strike a pay deal with unions, setting up further strike action potentially as the Bank of England warns that high inflation could last longer than expected. Lovely to see you all this morning. I hope you're all very well. And I've got some absolutely spiffing news for you. Uh, and that is that despite the fact that the S&P was mediocre at best in its performing yet, performance yesterday, the fact is the data from the first five days of the year are in. Why is that important? Well, because, uh, as Mr Cutmore was saying, the first five days, i.e. the first week, but we had a shortened week last week, so five days had to... Uh, go into this day. The first five days of trading often dictate the destiny of the US markets uh, throughout the rest of the year. Uh, and, and with that in mind, imitation, Jeff, is the sincerest form of flattery that the uh, moderate can pay to the great. So there you go. So I, I'm, that's an Oscar Wilde quote, there or thereabouts. So I, I'm taking what Jeff has been saying the last couple of days and just now extrapolating that because the data is in for the first five days of the year. And the good news for you lot out there, if you are long the market, of course, not all of you are, and markets can healthily move downwards as well, as you well know. Uh, we're at 1.1% in the first five days. Now, according to the, uh, the, the almanacs as well, 83% uh, of the time, the market will rally on the back of those first five days. Uh, and they average on those rallying years, 14%. So all's well. We're all relaxed in the paddock, apparently. Nothing to worry about. And yet, and yet, if we look at actually, in fact, we can do the session, can't we? We can have a look. We have a look at it. In fact, if we look at this, the market actually was very, very excited up out of the gates, up over, what, 1.4% for the, uh, the S&P at one point, but then lost a couple of percent down to uh, down 0.73 because of that old bogeyman, inflation, concern about rates, concern about rates staying higher for longer. And therein lies the point. It was the same script, unfortunately, that we saw last year, which was a losing year, as opposed to this year, which you all know now is definitely going to be a winning year, apparently. 
It's the same script that took the market down a couple of percent from its highs, and that is concern from Bostick and others. And we played you the quotes yesterday that rates will remain higher than dear old Mr. and Mrs. Market wanted to uh, for. Um, the longer period in 2023. But very interesting, looking at the Nasdaq up six tenths, which it's gone now, uh, Nasdaq up six tenths as well. Very interesting, actually, um, that technology uh, found a bid yesterday. It caught a bid. Uh, stocks like Tesla, which have been under a lot of pressure. Should we show the first five days of the year as well? Sorry, you guys are all ahead of me here. Here you go. S&P up, uh, it says 1.4%. Though. I had 1.1, but that's for the Dow. Okay, let's have a look at tech gainers. Uh, I've already mentioned that Tesla was one of the uh, rallying stocks up 5.9%. NVIDIA, uh, advanced micro devices, Uber, Salesforce. So a lot of stocks which are seeing job losses uh, and concern about the business model in terms of the valuation of that business model uh, finding a bit of a bid. Let's have a look at the treasuries and where they are currently trading. 3.666 for the five-year, 3.53 for the 10-year. Oh, we had some interesting data yesterday. Did you see the revolving credit data again and the consumer credit? Uh, again, pretty high number as well, $16.5 billion compared with an average figure uh, throughout 2019, i.e. before the crisis, around about $3 trillion, a billion dollars. So you can see much, much higher uh, revolving credit, credit cards. Dollar crosses look like this. 1.217 for sterling. Potentially a bit of good news off in the offing on the talks over Northern Ireland, which would be some form of rapprochement between uh, the UK and the EU, the UK uh, and indeed the, the Republic of Ireland over that border there as well. But that's still to come. 107.40 is where the euro dollar is currently trading. Dollar yen 131.75. Quick look at the oil price and where that is trading as well. Uh, abating from its highs, 79.28. WTI 74.30 off. Spot gold really trading up to what, 1880 plus yesterday uh, at one point. Now $2.7 per troy ounce higher. Asian indices, I'll do this very, very quickly so we can move on to our great guests waiting in the wings. Uh, Nikkei up eight tenths of a percent. They're aside, fairly flat to slightly soggy. Opening calls for European markets. Well, what are, well, there you go. That's very interesting. Ah, that's more like it. It's so briefly it showed positive, didn't it? That was that was interesting. Yes, we are called lower given the fact that we lost a, a percent plus later on in the US session. Well, I, I talked about the spiffing news for the market. Spiffing yep. that you two look so well this morning. Yeah, and in reference to that, it's probably just worth in, uh, mentioning to the audience that there is a piece uh, on CNBC.com about this, about the technicals, right. um, effectively talking about the January effect. I think the headline on it, January is strong start is a good sign for stocks, but brace for more pain ahead. Ah. I think the point is that the volatility continues and even the, uh, um, the technical analysts while they're celebrating the fact that we've had that positive start they are making the case that they think volatility uh, will be with us for some time but, to but come. Then, then just brilliant news for the hedge funds then surely because not only are they just closet indexers going long the market but that means right. also they can trade out the volatility as well with a bit of premium. Right. They're going to have it off this year like they did last year. Except they didn't did they? Because well, we talked about this already. Surely some the hedge the, funds um, did really well last year. Apparently this was the worst year since 2018 for the hedge funds. But they had volatility, they had dispersion, yeah. they had amazing stories. Surely they all made money last year. Yeah. 
I'm not well. falling into that trap. I know you probably want me to talk about hedge funds. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to say was I think you've got two big themes already playing out for the yeah, first yeah. five days of the year. And one is the China reopening theme and the other is the improvement that we're seeing in what has been peak bearishness, the market picking up on uh, the cues from the jobs data, hopes that the Fed might be slightly wrong-footed and the market is right-footed in its approach around what the Fed will do this year and next year. But uh, the China theme, if you look at uh, some of the stocks that have been performing, DataTrack was making the, the point that it's been non-US stocks outperforming domestic names, which typically you only see in an up cycle. And we're certainly not looking at an up cycle economically at this point. So they're putting it down to the fact that you've got this reopening theme in China, which is why those particular stocks globally are benefiting. And you are seeing it in individual markets around Southeast Asia, also right here in Europe, that beneficiary from the, the China theme. So I think those twin track themes really catching a lot of investors by surprise at this stage. As we'll see, because we're speaking to one of the good ones in a minute. There are some brilliant hedge funds out there. It's just that most of them aren't really hedge funds. They're just closet indexation uh, vehicles where they just do the same as everyone else. Which you don't need to whisper because it's no big secret. No, I know. Shall we push on and take a look at uh, some of the data? Consumer expectations for U.S. inflation have declined. According to the New York Fed's monthly survey, the one-year inflation outlook dipped to 5%, slowing marginally versus the previous month and hitting the lowest level since July 2021. Two Federal Reserve officials say fresh inflation data later this week will help them decide whether they can slow the pace of interest rate hikes at their upcoming meeting. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic, who sees rates going above 5% for some time, says he would consider slower rates uh, if the uh, slower rate hikes if consumer inflation data confirms that the cooling seen in the latest jobs report is real. Now, meanwhile, the San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said a case can be made for both a half or quarter point increase. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell will speak at the Riksbank International Symposium in Stockholm later on today. His speech is scheduled to start at 1500 CET and comes on the heels of Friday's jobs report that saw wage growth cooling more than expected. On Thursday, we get the latest reading on consumer price inflation, which could offer more clues on the U.S. rate hike path. According to the CME's FedWatch tool, traders are placing a nearly 80% chance of a 25 basis point rate hike at the next policy meeting. And just on a programming note, don't miss our exclusive interview with the outgoing governor of the Riksbank, Stefan Ingres, that is later on this morning at 8.45 CET. Uh, let's speak with uh, David Newhouser then, CIO of Livermore Partners. David, good to see you back with us. Thanks for joining us once again and Happy New Year to you. And let, let me just pick up from the themes that Karen was running us through here that seem to be driving the market at the moment. The big China reopening story has got a lot of market participants excited but yesterday just saw that enthusiasm checked slightly when some of the Fed speakers came up and reasserted the idea that we are going to 5% plus here. What are your thoughts on this? Is it worth chasing the China reopening story at this stage? How do you make money from it? Yeah, no, thank you uh, for having me. Happy New Year, guys. So, you know, I, I think the reopening trade is just that. It's a trade. Uh, so as you see from the beginning of the year, you know, we had a very bear market uh, from 2022. We had sentiment extremely negative. So, you know, it was obviously it did, wouldn't take a whole lot uh, to, on the headlines to get some of the green arrows to, to come through to start the year. So, you know, here we are in the first week of January. You know, we, we had some uh, positive data last week. 
We had, of course, the China reopening. Uh, and of course, now you're seeing, uh, you know, indexes start to trade up into the right a bit. Um, personally, I think that's all it is, though. It's a trade. Uh, you can't look too much uh, into it. Um, and I think as the year goes on, we'll see further uh, deterioration in economic activity. David, I just want to bring gold up very quickly um, in this conversation because it's something that you've been championing for a while and you've been a long-term investor in the commodity space. Finally, gold seems to have woken up here, but these are still modest moves uh, given the, the enthusiasm there is towards the metal at the moment. What is it going to take to generate uh, much more upside for gold from here on in for the rest of the year? You know, I think it's going to take uh, investors looking out a bit longer and seeing that uh, further uh, currency debasement is going to take place over the next several years. As you have these like large uh, deficit spending, you know, uh, from the past you know decade takes hold, lower economic growth take hold, takes hold, and of course higher interest rates. And when all that's being said and, and finished, you're just seeing further uh, purchasing power be eroded from the consumer. Uh, as, as Steve pointed out, I think at the top of the show that you know consumer borrowing is at the highest it's been since at least 2019, and it looks like it's going higher. Uh, again, you're seeing uh, wage growth slow a bit, but you're also seeing a lot more layoffs occur, uh, especially in tech land. So I think as you look forward, you know, you start to look around and think where's the safest place uh, for your investment in terms of assets. And the only place really to go as an alternative right now is gold in terms of knowing uh, that you're not going to see that debasement uh, of your assets. And therefore, it's going to hold uh, true as it's been for you know several thousand years. So, you know, we like gold, as you know, I've liked gold for several years uh, looking at the dollar peaking. Uh, it's it's gotten uh, a little bit of a lift off here just in the past several months. So I see that continuing for some time. Happy New Year to you. We spoke a lot over the course of last year about the beaten up tech trade. You were one of the first to call these big changes that we would see in the sector. We're still down 34 odd percent on the Nasdaq at this stage. I know some investors are just looking to pick over some of those beaten up names in particular. Retail traders in particular hoping that there'll be some upside in 2023. Are there any names you like in the tech sector? Yeah, you know, so I, I've avoided the tech sector, as you know, for, for Livermore. In fact, you know, we've shorted uh, several companies, you know, some of these high flyer companies in the past, you know, like Amazon and Tesla and the like. But, you know, at this stage, you know, we're not looking at uh, sort of pressing uh, the foot to the metal on the short side, uh, even though I see, you know, again, further erosion uh, over the course of the year and, and ultimately the index is trading substantially lower. The only thing I pointed out, you know, recently in the past few months was a company like Intel, which looked like it was basing well in the in the mid 20s. It looked like it paid a really nice yield and they had the levers to pull uh, to lower their CapEx and keep the balance sheet strong enough for the yield. So, you know, on any on any potential re-rate, of course, and, and a lower uh, interest rate environment looking forward, you know, you could see a company like Intel start to regain some of their lost momentum. But besides that, and maybe another handful of stocks out there, there's not much in tech land that I'm looking at today. And I think it's just a trade on the upside, if anything.
David, uh, just a view on Tesla as well, 66% down for the past year. We've started off 2023 talking about discounting of Tesla cars at this stage. And obviously the reopening theme in China is a, a feature here. But how do you think about the, the price action on Tesla? Oh, I think it's been nothing short of a disaster. So, you know, you look at the stock, uh, it hit a peak of 400 about two years ago, the, the year after COVID. And today we're talking about $120 a share, still about a $350 billion market capitalization. So here was a company that, you know, just a few short years ago, everyone thought was going to be this, you know, trillion to multi-trillion dollar company over the next few years. And they could do whatever they want. And Elon Musk is, you know, the king of the world, so to speak. And then it's so quick how, uh, you know, the mood changes, investor sentiment shifts, uh, equity price falls 70 percent and then i'm already seeing calls from some of his most loved uh shareholders of the past calling for his head uh so that's not surprising usually as this occurs uh when a company sees sort of this downdraft uh but i think ultimately it's been a it's been a disaster and i think the road ahead is bumpy uh at best as competition increases uh and margins erode due to the price cuts David, lovely to see you. Happy New Year to you. Look, I, I ended last year talking to you in person here, of course, uh, and I asked you about the oil price again. I'm going to ask you the same question just to refresh our viewers, really. Do you feel uncomfortable, the fact that you are bullish on oil, and, and not that on its own, I, I, but the fact that everyone else is as well, and that doesn't sit comfortably for a man of your innovative thinking to be in the herd? Yeah, I don't. you know, Steve, I don't like to be in the herd uh, I'm, but I'm looking again at a lot of the structures, uh, you know, structural sort of issues that are at play. And the one thing about uh, oil uh, today that unlike in the past decade is there's just no investment. There hasn't been investment. You know this. And at the same time, you're seeing inflation, uh, which is not going to go away, also occurring in, in the oil patch. And so I can tell you this from experience from the companies that we're in Livermore's invested in and I'm even on the board of. We're seeing uh, higher levels of inflation in terms when you're trying to drill. Uh, and at the same time, you're seeing prices, like you said, erode a bit from the peaks. But, you know, a $75, uh, you know, WTI price is not horrible. And what I'm trying to get at is it's showing that the balance sheets of these companies are continuing to be uh, ripe. They're also very strong in terms of the cash flow, even the free cash flow, so they could pay dividend yields in this environment and going forward. And they're understanding that this capital return and stability is the way forward. So un uh, under those uh, fundamentals, um, I think you still need to be uh, an energy investor. I do think this next year or even two might be a bit rocky compared to last year, which was really good for energy. Uh, but overall, it's, it is the best sector uh, out there today. And, and Livermore is still a big investor in the space. I think you've answered my question. But just to clarify, it's the oil stocks rather than the underlying commodity that you would focus on your long. And if so, the oil stocks, obviously, you've got uh, Exxon on 10 times. You've got the, the European majors trading lower than that. Plus, you've got the oil field services. C can you hone in a little bit the call on where our viewers should place their longs? Yeah, I mean, again, personally, I like I like the smaller cap uh, companies. I like the international side. I like uh, some of the U.S. companies. I mean, things even under the radar, you know, so we own a company, Calibri Global Energy. Good example. 
uh, scoop uh, player in Oklahoma, trading at something like two times cash flow right here. And with this huge running room go going forward, or if you look at internationally and you look at even some of the UK names, which typically, you know, uh, are a place that you don't see this massive growth, but there's really good value where again, strong cash flows by companies like uh, Sirica or our Jadestone Energy uh, or Enquest or Energian. There's these small, you know, a billion dollars or less companies that, again, under this environment, they're still going to generate substantial cash flows and their balance sheets look really good. So personally, I think going forward, you're going to see more consolidation eventually in the sector. And that's another way where you could see upside to your investment. And that's another way where, again, Livermore is focused on because we do do a lot of activism uh, in the space. And I see that as our path forward as well. David, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, David Newhouser joining us from Livermore Partners in Chicago. Well, the uh, first five trading day story we mentioned is, is just something worth having a, um, a look over. That story is on the website. You can go and have a look at that at CNBC Pro. I'm told that there is a small charge uh, to get access to this, but I think there's some <laughs> terrific uh, material on there, including another um, very good story about the 12 cheap stocks that are apparently off to a good start in 2023. So you can find all of those stories on the website. So I'm told we don't get a commission from this, but it's a good thing to try and No, we do it. get a commission. It goes in straight into my bank account. Does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does Did it? You not? Why, why are you still here? I thought you'd be on an island somewhere then, sunning yourself <laughs> well, and like can be sucking down a pina colada. It can be yeah. island, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Or the Isle of, Isle of Dogs. Really Isle of Dogs. <laughs> Been to the Isle of Dogs more than once, as you know. Talk to the Isle of Dogs. Do you see this, that extraordinary video that's everywhere at the moment of the dogs fighting a shark? No, only because one of my bestest, oldest friends, you looked at it on his Twitter feed. No, no, I, I don't think it was. It's on everybody's Twitter feed. Well, it's not on mine. You've got to have a look at it. It's, um, <laughs> I think it was, maybe it was shot in Pakistan, I don't know what, but the shark turns up. To, it's very much like the hedge fund story this year, actually. Would you and not tell shark, people what happened? The shark was the hedge fund, yeah. but it didn't do so well. I think what are the hedge funds down. We were talking about this, something like 4% across the industry, right. something like that. So, go on. so the shark comes on the beach to kill no, a dog. No, no, so yeah. there's a dog sort of splashing around in the sea. Yeah. Yeah. Shark comes along. Yeah. Suddenly, all these other dogs pile in, yeah. start having a go at the shark. I feel sorry for the shark. I, well, you know, the shark... Could, it didn't have to you know, be there. You know, Spielberg said he regrets ever making Jaws for what it's done for the the interpretation of how dangerous sharks are. Yes, it's led yes. to much carnage. Yes, although I also think he's quite... The, the thing that he's most frightened of is sharks. Or that's what he said, apparently, on a Desert Island Discs program. Right, uh, coming up on the show. Uh, there you go, we just went AWOL. Uh, Pfizer, back on. Pfizer could soon begin manufacturing its COVID-19 vaccine Paxlovid in China through a local partner as demand skyrockets for the oral antiviral treatment. And hopes of a Fed pivot rise. You can keep up to date with all the latest market moves and Fed speak by subscribing to the Scorebox podcast available where you get your podcasts.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Lengthy queues have been reported outside immigration offices in Beijing as China lifts quarantine rules on incoming travellers following three years of strict zero Covid restrictions. China's yuan touched its highest level since August yesterday as easing rules raised hopes of a rapid economic recovery. And just a quick look there at the dollar yuan trading 6.7688. Meanwhile, Pfizer could begin manufacturing its COVID-19 drug Paxlovid in China through its local partner within three to four months. Speaking at JP Morgan's healthcare conference in San Francisco, the Pfizer CEO Albert Bula said the manufacturer is gearing up to begin production as demand for the product skyrockets. So far, they have shown tremendous interest in Paxlovid. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Paxlovid was registered in China uh, months ago and uh, we were giving very low quantities. Now that uh, China is opening, apparently, uh, the cases are skyrocketing from what we are hearing. Mm -hmm. So we are sending as much Paxlovid uh, as we can. Our manufacturing machines are working, so to be able to supply them. So I just mentioned um, that we've actually had an update on that story. We um, did see a flash just come through. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Zhejiang uh, Huahai Pharmaceutical is actively cooperating now with Pfizer to accelerate localization of Paxlovid. This according to Reuters. So that, I think, takes us one step forward. The cooperation is designed to ensure an adequate supply of uh, Paxlovid um, in the Chinese market here. And I think this is fascinating because it's another step forward, it appears, in what is a re-establishment of a slightly better relationship with the United States. We'll have to see how this goes. But the other story, I don't know whether you guys will have seen this, that Zhao Lijian, the um, foreign ministry spokesman, who I think over the years has been known for his wolf warrior-like rhetoric, has been moved. He has been shifted to a department responsible for managing land and sea borders. And the Chinese uh, Twitter feed is, is full of speculation about whether this is actually a downgrading of his status and whether this represents an attempt by the new foreign minister who was previously the Chinese ambassador in the United States, whether this is now an attempt by him to sweep away some of the old wolf warrior commentary that appeared to make relations, at least publicly, so icy between Washington and Beijing here. So there's some interesting things going on in the background, whether this ultimately leads to any meaningful improvement in trade relationships and some of the restrictions we're seeing on chip technology and so on and so forth, we'll have to wait and see. But New Year, 
perhaps it's a new broom. Yeah, and you just mentioned New Year. We are getting some data out of Chinese sources, and, and don't forget this is uh, comes with a few question marks around it. We don't know what the actual numbers are in terms of COVID infections, but uh, in one of the local publications linked to the Communist Party, so perhaps with the pinch of salt here, Health Times is saying that infections have been declining in the capital and also several Chinese provinces. I mean, who knows? But we are coming up to Chinese New Year. We know that tendency here is for people to go and circulate, see their friends and family to travel. And if you've got a huge spike in COVID cases still ongoing, that there is, again, another risk about further spread of COVID at this point. So the fact we've got an antiviral drug in the wings that the government is looking at some sort of remedy here to avoid those serious infections, I think that is quite key. And don't forget, I think International Watch has been horrified about the potential uh, casualty mortality rate that we could see out of China during this current wave. So that is fascinating, but also it does beg the question, if China is open to taking drugs and antiviral drug from the West, would it be open to uh, actual vaccines down the track? from the West as well, when it's been hugely reliant on its own vaccines to date. So just to finish off on both conversations, on your point about vaccines, this is an admission that the Chinese vaccines have been less effective, isn't it? As has been reported quite recently at Singapore Post, I'm picking up here as well, recent studies showed that Chinese vaccines such as Sinovac have only been up to 61% effective against death, 55% uh, against hospitalisation, whilst Moderna and Pfizer fare much better with 90% protection from both. So finally, perhaps the mission that the Chinese vaccines haven't been as effective as well. Uh, and to your point about the end of uh, wolf diplomacy or, or an abating of some of that, uh, I'll just remind our viewers that in the last week of 2022, saw the largest incursions of Spanish, uh, Spanish, Chinese aircraft and drones into Taiwan territory. Uh, I think it was up to 71, wasn't it? Something enormous, uh, including fighter jets. Yes, 71 Chinese aircraft, including fighter jets and drones, entering Taiwan's air defence identification zone in a 24-hour period as well. So whilst I hear what you're saying on one level, perhaps a slight abating of the wolf warrior diplomacy, it seems that in the um, intimidation of Taiwan or the... What's a better word for that? Uh, the incursion into Taiwanese territory or airspace that seems to be carrying on uh, greater than ever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Chinese described it as a series of uh, strategic exercises, I think. But it's actually continued pretty much all through uh, last year. But, but ratcheted up. But there have been um, significant incursions. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the attempt to continue to intimidate uh, regional powers mm has continued we, we will like like we were saying we will see what meaningfully happens here just for our audience on the investment side there's a very interesting other development this morning that that's worth mentioning there's a lot of speculation now that china may actually allow the quota on foreign uh, sorry on uh, bond issuance by provinces to increase now the speculation is that that could be anything to the tune of 3.8 trillion yuan again that would be another interesting development here because it would represent the Chinese government trying to reflate the economy and they would hope that a lot of that money would would be spent on infrastructure around the country but I mean you know it's it's a one-trick pony story how many times could you try the same exercise to reinflate the Chinese economy because you want to industrialize and see if you can get past the middle income trap that they possibly are falling into as well as the great Mr Magnus pointed out in his tome Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.